Log Talk Radio. countries now are listening to our show, and among the many countries that listen to us regularly, we had two we had not seen in a while tune in last week. So, welcome Switzerland and the Dominican Republic. We're glad you're with us tonight. My name is Neil Holland, retired Eastern captain and the producer of the show, and I hope you enjoy another broadcast the Eastern Airlines Radio Show. And now, Don Gagnon, our announcer tonight, filling in for Chuck Albright, who is out on a moving assignment. Don, it's all yours. Well, thank you, Neil. And Chuck, if you're on, is on assignment, that's no, that's no one in his or her right mind would enjoy. <laughs> Chuck's moving from one crib to another crib. So, Chuck... Don't lift anything heavy, okay, buddy? <laughs> see you soon. Probably see you tomorrow, actually. Well, hello, Eastern family and friends. And as our producer said, we're glad you're with us for more Eastern talk, news, music, and information. My name is Don Gagnon, and I'm coming to you live from the village, Florida. Our producer, Captain Neal, is in St. Augustine, and our hosts are scattered all around the country. So let's start up in the New York, Long Island area with Captain Mike Scott, and on the other side of the island, Captain George Jin. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey. Good. Hey, How are you Dad. doing? Hope Chuck's doing okay with his lifting. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too. Now we got uh, Captain Jim Holder and his lovely wife, Carrie. They're in the Atlanta area. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hey, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving. You, too. Yep. Thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Lindquist is over in the Baltimore area, around Brunswick, as I recall. <laughs> Excuse me. Harry, how you doing? I'm doing great, Don. How's all the gang doing tonight? Oh, we're doing fine. Norma Jean is in Wikiwachi Springs area. That's just a... Little north of Toppen Springs on the west coast of Florida. Hello, Norma Jean. Hi, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Hi. You too. Thank you. And our Mark Porter, he's our Eastern 3.0 guy. He's in the Miami area. Mark, how are you doing? I'm in Deltona this weekend. I'm good. That's good. Glad to hear from you, Mark. And, of course, right here in the villages, I'm here with my beautiful wife, Dorothy. Hello. So, so hello, guys, and hello, all everybody. Hey, Don. 
Yes. Don, I see a couple of folks that tune us in regularly. I think Renee up in Canada is with us, and I see uh, Michael Hello. Zoll. Hey. Uh, and I see Michael Zoll is down in the Miami area. Hello, Michael. And uh, a few other strange uh, area codes, but uh, we'll we'll see if we can get to them a little bit later on if they'd like to add their comment. Back to you. Sorry, Don. That's okay. Thank you. Looks like we've got almost the entire gang of hosts with us tonight. Well, hello, hello one and all. <laughs> Mr. Producer, if, if, if I left anybody out, please let me know. From all of our hosts, welcome. And thank you for listening and calling into the show over the past 10 years. You have truly made us the voice, the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. And now... I see where they were number number one for takeoff. So, Captain, let's get Eastern Flight 483 in the air. Eastern 483, this is Washington Tower. You're cleared for takeoff, runway 36. Roger, Washington. Eastern 483 on roll, runway 36. That's not the commercial I had in mind. Didn't sound, sound like a commercial at all. So I, I'm going to hit this one. You've heard this one before, but I button, never get. You. Yeah, I never get tired of the 757 ad when we first got them. So here's the 757 Eastern's new airplane. I think. Five years ago, Eastern saw the future in a remarkable aircraft. Now it's here. The new Boeing 757, the most advanced, most fuel-efficient commercial jet ever built. It's going to help Eastern hold down the cost of flying for years to come. We earn our wings for was once played in the land we call our nation's capital. Did you know that the National Airport, now Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport, is site-rich in historical significance dating back to colonial days of this music? The area known as Gravelly Point is where Captain John Alexander built a home called Abington in 1746. A descendant, Philip Alexander, donated most of the land on which the city of Alexandria, Virginia, was built, and it was so named in his honor. Abingdon was purchased in 1778 by John Park Custis, the adopted stepson of President George Washington, and was the birthplace of Washington's beloved granddaughter, Eleanor Nellie Park Custis. Abingdon was destroyed by fire in 1930 and the ruins stabilized. In 1998, the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority preserved the right and created an exhibit of artifacts now located in Terminal A. Throughout the early 20th century, airport facilities in Washington, D.C. were seriously inadequate. Hoover Field, located near the present site of the Pentagon, was the first major terminal to be developed in the National Capital Area, opening its doors in 1926. The following year, Washington Airport, another privately operated field, began service next door. 
1930, the economics of the Great Depression caused the two terminals to merge to form Washington Hoover Airport. Bordered on the east by Highway 1 with its accompanying high-tension electrical wires and obstructed by a high smokestack on one approach and a dump nearby, the field was less than adequate. Incredibly, the airport's one runway was intersected by a busy street, Military Road, which had guards posted to flag down traffic during takeoffs and landings. Yeah. Oh, the beginning. Between 1926 and 1938, Congress produced realms of debate transcripts and 37 committee reports on the need for a new airport, but no action was taken. In the fall of 1938, President Franklin D. Roosevelt announced at a press conference that he was, quote, tired of waiting for Congress, end quote, to select a site for the new airport and said that it would be built on mud flats on a bend of the Potomac River at Gravity Point, four and a half miles south of Washington, D.C. Now, two months later, on November the 21st, 1938, the first ceremonial shovel of dirt was moved to signal the start of construction. Before the final site selection, flights were made over the area with representatives of all airlines, some airline pilots, and year-round studies of weather conditions were made by the U.S. Weather Bureau. It was found that the approaches to the proposed runways from eight different directions were clear for such distances to as to provide a flight angles of 40 to 1, meaning every 40 feet forward traveled a loss of one foot altitude result, and I hope somebody understands that. I don't. Several <laughs> government agencies cooperated with the newly formed Civil Aeronautics Board predecessor agency to the Federal Aviation Administration in the construction of Washington National Airport. Additional assistance came from the Works Progress Administration, that's the WPA, the Public Works Administration, that's the PWA, and the Army Corps of Engineers, the Department of Interior's National Park Service, and, of course, the Fine Arts Commission. Harry? Thank you, Jim. Well, the building, to make the construction of the airport more challenging, most of the proposed airfield was site was underwater. Between November 1938 and December 1939, almost 20 million cubic yards of sand and gravel were moved onto the site. The first step in construction was to erect a dike around the riverside perimeter of the site. The second task was to clear the runway locations of silt so that sand and gravel could be pumped on top of a stable base, eliminating the possibility of settling. Four hydraulic dredges, among the largest and most powerful at that time, cleared 11 feet of silt from the future runway locations to a depth of 200 feet. Next, sand and gravel were pumped from the riverbed into the canals which formed the runways up to a height of 20 feet above the river level. By this method, the runway base was so stabilized that paving could be laid within six months after the fill was completed. The airport was originally designed with four runways. The main north-south runway at 6,855 feet, a northwest-southeast runway at 5,210 feet, a northeast-southwest runway at 4,892 feet, and an east-west runway at 4,100 feet. When northwest winds existed, aircraft landed to the northwest, which was often the case. Norma Jean? Uh, the terminal building uh, regarding the September 28, 1940, was two years to the day of the site selection. President Roosevelt laid the cornerstone of the terminal building at the dedication ceremony. National Airport's designers faced a difficult problem. How would they create the most modern of facilities while honoring the spirit of classic architecture of the nation's capital and the colonial history of the site. The design reminiscent of nearby Mount Vernon represented a unique attempt to create a quote, modern unquote structure 
while still integrating architectural references to the colonial and neoclassical style. An observation terrace allowed visitors a spectacular view of the airfield. Over two million people visited the airport during the first year, including 344,257 actual passengers. National Airport opened for business on June 16, 1941. President Roosevelt attended a ceremony and observed the first official landing. The airlines drew straws to determine who could land at National Airport first, and American Airlines won the honor. The plane was piloted by Bennett H. Griffin, who later became the manager of Airport in 1947. The second inaugural landing was made by Eastern Airlines. Actually, Eastern was the first airline to fly a scheduled flight into the new Washington National Airport, and the captain was R.W. Tucker, and the co-pilot was J.E. Wood. On opening day, just one hangar was completed and in operation. Five hangars were under construction with a seventh in the planning stage. When it opened, National Airport was considered the last word in airports, a concentration of the ultra-modern developments in design of buildings, handling of planes, air traffic and field traffic control, field lighting, facilities for public comfort, and convenience and surface vehicle travel traffic control. Uh, National, Dorothy? Over the years, National Airport became a success, but a controversy over legal jurisdiction began to brew. Was the airport located in Virginia or the District of Columbia? The district owned the Potomac River to Virginia, claiming the boundary had been set in 1846 at the high water mark along the shoreline. But since the airport was built on a fill, a new eastern shoreline was created. The question arose as to whether the district's authority ended at the new shore or the original one. The problem went unresolved until 1945 when Congress approved a bill that fixed the airport boundary at the mean high-water mark, regardless of changes, which placed the airport in Virginia. However, the Congress established exclusive federal jurisdiction over National Airport. The first major expansion was completed in November 1950 when a 297-foot extension to the south end of the main terminal added 25,110 square feet of a space. Five years later, in 1955, the 587-by-17-foot South Finger, as it was called, was added, increasing the square footage by 9,979 square feet, and also providing badly needed aircraft gates and loading positions. Over the years, the runways have changed only slightly in length, except for the east-west runway, which was closed in 1956, and used as a taxiway and for aircraft parking. Today, the airfield contains three one runways, runway 1 to 19. The main north-south runway is 6,869 feet. The other two runways are runway 1533 at 5,204 feet and runway 422 at 4,911 feet. As flying became an increasingly popular form of travel, the need for more space for passengers and aircraft became necessary. In October 1958, the North Terminal was open, adding an additional 7,264 square feet of usable space. In 1961, the 772-foot long passageway between the main and the north terminals was closed, was enclosed. 
with three thousand with three hundred and forty four thousand two hundred and fifty seven passengers in nineteen forty one and the first million actually in nineteen forty six the actual number of the annual number of passengers grew steadily until the late 1980s when the number reached 16 million. Airport passenger numbers remained between 15 and 16 million throughout the 1990s, dipping slightly in the years immediately following the September 11, 2001 terrorist attack. In 2014, Reagan National reached a record of 22.4 million annual passengers. A time for renewal. The federal government relinquished direct control of National and Dulles airports when President Ronald Reagan signed the transfer bill authorizing the creation of Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority in 1987. The Metropolitan Washington Airport Authority is an independent interstate agency created by legislation enacted by the Virginia Commonwealth and the District of Columbia with the consent of the United States Congress for the purpose of operating Washington Dulles International and Ronald Reagan Washington National Airports. The airports authority operate this two-airport system which provides domestic and international air service for the metropolitan Washington region. The Airports Authority is a financially self-sustained agency and in addition operates both Washington Dulles and Reagan National. It is also responsible for the capital improvements of both airports, the operation of Dulles Toll Road, and the construction of the Silver Line Project. On February 6, 1998, President William Jefferson Clinton signed into law a bill introduced and passed in Congress changing the name of Washington National Airport to Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport. Okay, now we have the, the new national. On July 27, 1997, National Airport was transformed by an official opening of the new terminal, which offers modern, efficient facilities to include direct connections to monorail and the new parking garages via and includes pedestrian, uh, pedestrian bridges. The three-level, one-million-square-foot terminal houses 35 aircraft gates and the National Hall, a main street of shops and eateries on the concourse level. The terminal provides 100 ticket counters, 12 baggage claims, three piers, and where airline gates are located and passengers uh, and the connector to the term, to connect to Terminal A. To enhance the spacious passenger-friendly environment, the terminal offers an unparalleled view of national, the national's capital and works of art from 30 artists are incorporated into the structure of the terminal using various designs such as glass, marble, mosaic, terzano, murals, ballastades, and sculpture. Renowned architect Caesar Pelli designed a Washington landmark that both was both functional and aesthetically pleasing. Pelli's design included a large window overlooking the airport operations and the Washington, D.C. skyline, and the building was adorned with 54 Jeffersonian domes that established the connection with the architecture of that region. In 1998, the airport's authority took considerable care to preserve and stabilize the archaeological site on the airport grounds. Abington was the colonial plantation and the birthplace of President George Washington's granddaughter, Eleanor Nellie Park Curtis. It was destroyed by fire in 1930 and the ruins were stabilized. During the airport's authority uh, preservation effort, there were numerous archaeological finds. These artifacts, along with the detailed history of the airport and the surrounding area, can be viewed in the hallway located to the west of the historical lobby in Terminal A. Okay, here are a few uh, 
a few little-known facts about the airport that serves Washington, D.C. DCA, which is its designator, predecessor Hoover Field, was such a dangerous airfield that it lost its local airmail contract in 1927. Passenger service, however, still still continued. You can go figure that one out. FDR got sick of congressional waffling for more than a decade over the site of the new airport and chose the new national airport's home. FDR's plans put most of the airport in the Potomac River. A, quote, perimeter rule, unquote, governs the maximum distance for nonstop flights in and out of national. It's 650, it was 650 statute miles, and now it's 1,250 statute miles. The federal government ran national until President Ronald Reagan's administration ceded its control to the newly formed Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority. Immediately following 9-11, the airport closed for 23 days, and some feared it would be permanently shuttered. Members of Congress parked free there and lay claim to a reserved parking lot. I'm sure that doesn't surprise many of us. All pilots flying in and out of Washington National no doubt remember checking in when passing the Wilson Bridge when landing on runway 36. They also no doubt recall taking the final turn over the 14th Street Bridge when landing on runway 18 when making the river approach. You can also recall reducing power on takeoff on runway 36 because of noise abatement. And Neil and I discussed this the other night. We believe we had a on the uh, 727 DC-9 pull the power back to uh, 1.6 EPRs. And if you were based in Washington, walking down from the employee parking lot to the Eastern Pilot and Flight Attendant Operations and then through the cargo tunnel to flight operations in the terminal. And here's a question for our hosts. What was the name of the airport directly across the Potomac River from National Airport? Three names, please. Go right ahead, whoever remembers. <laughs> well, I know. Don't everybody answer at once. But <laughs> I, 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 I refuse to go look it up. That was cheating. But I do believe that when somebody says the correct name, I'll recognize it. Now, how's that? Uh, Mike probably cheating? has that answer. No, I, actually, I don't. I only was into oh, Washington no. like tw- twice in my career. We used to go well, to then, Dallas. Well, let's turn to Harry. Harry? I don't know. Oh, no. I don't either. <laughs> how, about, how about Bowling Field? Is that... Uh, Anyone yeah, remember that? Not familiar. How about Yeah, we spoke about that the other night, Neil, remember? Yeah. If you going up to LaGuardia, I mean I flew the shuttle for many years, you could make a right turn up the Anacosta River and cut like ten minutes off the flying time up to LaGuardia. But you had to really bank the seven two as soon as your wheels broke ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then the other way was the normal way, which was over the Pentagon area or, or up the Potomac River. Right, uh, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. But, well, that was well, interesting. Well, I got to admit, if that's the right answer, I didn't know it. Yeah, <laughs> I always referred to it as bowling field, and a bowling was yeah. uh, was uh, war, uh, was a uh, uh, World War One, I, I think, uh, general, and. Um, but it was also an army base there with a flying squadron, I guess, back in the uh, early 30s. And um, but I remember when when I started in 63 there, the beginning of 63, being assigned Washington as my base. Uh, I remember the airport uh, being immediately across the river, and I recall some airplanes were located there at the time. So those were the days. The names all sound well, familiar once you mentioned them. Yeah. Well, you know, one well, little bit of a, and I think I'm correct on this, uh, talking about it went from so many statue miles to more statue miles. My memory is, and I think I'm correct, 
that no flights could be more than 500 miles from Washington National. And well, that was originally the thought. But then a bunch of senators in Texas, they protested that they couldn't fly home, and so they uh, changed the rule was it was 500 miles for everybody else, but if you're going to Texas, you could go more than 500 miles. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that's a fact. Yeah, uh, it looks like uh, judging by the script, it's a lot more mm. than that now. But isn't yes. that ridiculous that they guys yeah. uh, they said we're gonna make Texas flights can go longer? Yeah, Brother. just like today. <laughs> there you go. Hey guys, I, I was not aware of that uh, that mileage restriction there. Are there any other airports that that have some kind of a restriction like that? I don't know of any. Well, not that I know of. Well, I, 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 believe, I believe that there's restrictions on LaGuardia, but I'm not sure if they're official or by the fact that the runways are only 7,000 feet long, which no doubt mm-hmm. restricts a lot of it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. The same with Washington. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the 6,000-foot runways, how far are you yeah. going to go with that, you know? Yeah. 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 That's true. Well, it was a lot of fun operating in and out of Washington, as uh, you guys know. Uh, it was a fun airport, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I started flying in there with uh, Convair 440s and uh, wound up my last flights in the 757. So. I only recall like two trips with the 727 going in there and one trip on the, on the Gulf Stream 4 that I was flying. And then the rest of the trips all ended up going in and out of Dulles because there was less uh, red tape involved. I uh, I told Bud, um, not Bud, but I told uh, George when we were talking the other night, George, uh, about the fact that um, you had to have at least one star or two stars on the airplane, uh, one star, you couldn't get into national as a general uh, or an admiral. You had to have two stars or more to get in to national airport. And I, after Eastern folded, was the chief pilot over there at a little airline called uh, uh, Maryland Air. And we had uh, grazing rights, I guess, for many, many years flying in and out of there. And so we could come in and and uh, park at Butler Aviation there. And one day I experienced a radio failure, and we were in and out so regularly. We, we couldn't be scheduled. It was an air taxi, so we couldn't operate a scheduled service. But so many depended on our little airline. As a matter of fact, I flew the Secretary of the Treasurer, uh, Nicholas Brady, was one of my passengers, Chris, Christopher Reeves. Lots of Army uh, generals and uh, admirals flew back and forth to the eastern shore. And one time I came in and no radio. And the tower, they they had vectored me over to RFK Stadium. And over the stadium, I couldn't get a clearance because my radio wasn't working. So here I am circling around RFK Stadium, not figuring I, I better turn back. And then I get a green light from the tower. And they were green lighting me all the way back into National and landing at National, even taxiing with the green light. light. Yeah. Those are light signals when you lose your radio, the tower right. has. Right. Yeah. They, they wanted and, to know where you got that star stencil with the spray can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was flying hey, a Neil, Jeep when you were uh, w- yeah. when you were operating that uh, air taxi service, were most of those flights uh, at personal expense or taxpayer expense? No, well, I don't know what the charging was. I'm sure they had an account, but but Nicholas Brady was regularly. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I quit the airline, I uh, somebody else had just brought him in in another flight, and I, I, they they lied to me about the weather conditions, <laughs> and I had had enough of air taxi part 135 operations, so. I walked up, and Brady was at the end of the counter over there, I guess, squaring his bill away or whatever. And I gave the keys to the chieftain, and I said, here, it's yours. I quit. (laughs) And and that was was the last I flew with Maryland Airlines, the air, Maryland Air. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Only one thing we know is that politicians are flying around. It's on our nickel. Yeah, probably. You're right about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 
but uh, yeah, it was it was quite an operation there. Well, uh, any other any other comments? Let's see. I got several people that have got. I'm gonna open their microphones. Let's see, five one nine and five one six. Where's five one six? That's up there in your area, isn't it, George Jen? Yeah, George yeah, sure and myself. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I guess that's who it is. And then Renee, you're up in Canada, Renee. Yeah, I'm here. Good to hear from you, and happy Thanksgiving coming up. We don't hear from you. Yeah, same to you. Thank you so much. Well, okay. folks, we lost. Uh, I lost a personal friend uh, here, and it, it just came to my attention. Uh, but he passed away in September, and he was one of the first hosts with the Eastern Airlines Radio Show. I'd like to read you his obituary, learn a little bit about him. It's not very long. But his name is Merrill Franklin Bud Hescock, Jr. Everyone called him Bud, of course. Bud passed away Sunday, September 27th in Jacksonville. He was 74 years old. He was born in 1946 in Norwood, Massachusetts, to Merle and Flora Hescock of Walpole, Massachusetts, where Bud was brought up. As a young man, Bud became a sailor and honorably served in the U.S. Navy during the Vietnam War. After the war, he went on to achieve a successful career as a commercial airline pilot and rising to the distinguished rank of international captain. Aviation was his passion, and to him, there was nothing like being in the clouds. He retired from United Airlines in 2003 after 18 years of service. Bud was known for his outgoing personality and infectious sense of humor and personal empathy for others. He was a committed servant to his church, St. George Episcopal Church in the Jacksonville area, and later found a loving community at Faith United Methodist Church. A philanthropic volunteer, Bud served in American Red Cross disaster relief efforts, including those for Hurricanes Katrina, Wilma, and Ike but also devoted his time as a guardian ad litem and drew satisfaction from service to his fellow man. Among other interests, Bud loved to cook, and oh, how he did. Every recipe was always very simple. He loved to garden, restore houses, play guitar, and follow the stock market. He loved being near the water. He was a mariner at heart and retired to a home on Little Marsh Island here in the Jacksonville area. Now, my remembrance of Bud is this. I first met Bud when someone suggested he put his real estate license with my company as he was interested in working in property management, and we had just started a property management division of my company in Ponte Vedra, and at the same time, I was just starting the Eastern Airlines radio show and Bud was eager, eager to help me with the startup. Along with Margaret Bars and myself, we did the show for the first two years, adding other hosts as we gained more experience and more listeners. Bud became an immediate hit with the listeners with his many talents at impersonating different characters with his great command of several different national dialects. Oh, he had a bunch of them. He had an amazing quick wit, I mean a real quick wit, and the discussions with callers and guests appearing on the show, and usually several seconds would have to pass before we could regain a condition that we could talk because of the laughter that he brought to whatever was being talked about, because Bud had a lot of jokes up his sleeves. Bud had a library-like memory of aviation and brought facts that would otherwise be overlooked in many conversations about different areas of aviation. A couple of other things is talking about his cooking. Um, 
at the end of our radio show at night, um, when we got off the air, we started at 7, of course. We'd always have something to eat, and I'd usually order a pizza, and we'd split it up. But Bud decided that he wanted to start cooking in the little kitchen that we had on a hot plate back in the little <laughs> kitchen area. I mean a hot plate. What a hot plate is about a 10-inch diameter, I believe, total. But, boy, could he cook up some items on that little old hot plate of ours. And he really enjoyed doing it. And, uh, Bud, you will be missed by so many friends and family members, but also by the producer of this radio show. I wish you smooth air and clear skies in your westward flight, my dear friend. And so I dedicate this song to you, Bud Hescock. It's my favorite, especially for airmen. And I thank you all listening, will enjoy listening to John Denver sing this wonderful, wonderful poem song called High Flight. Sunward I've climbed and joined the tumbling birds of sunsplit clouds and done a hundred things. I've Thank you so much for helping me start this 10-year journey of a radio beautiful. show. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Yep, some glassy eyes over that one. <laughs> Dorothy, uh, well, let's see. I guess I've got an update on Colleen. Um, I talked to, oh, uh, uh, golly, I can't think of her. Uh, Janice Henry, Janice. who keeps track of... Uh, 
of things for the Silverliners, and she's the president, I believe. And um, the last I talked with her, Colleen is now in a private room and doing well and uh, better, uh, still in the hospital, and hopefully she'll be coming home. I hope she'll be home for Thanksgiving, which is just a few days from now. But uh, Colleen, if you by chance are listening to our program tonight, Happy Thanksgiving, and we're so happy to have you with us on this show. Amen. And we wish her well and getting recovering as soon as she can. We miss her. And now we turn to our new Eastern Airlines reporter standing by to give us the latest on version 3.0. Mark Porter, what's up? Well, I'm watching uh, Eastern's uh, strategy on their hubs, uh, JFK in Miami and now LAX. And uh, it's uh, Miami that I find the most fascinating because John F. Kennedy has, of course, Ecuador, um, Guyana, Haiti, and Guatemala. And LAX will start January 11th to um, Guayaquil, Ecuador. But Miami has... Argentina, Bolivia, the Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Guyana, Haiti, Paraguay, Uruguay, and Brazil. And many of those, like Ecuador, have two airports, the Quito, the capital, and Guayaquil, which is down by the beach. And Brazil has the capital, Brasilia, and then Belo Horizonte, which is almost towards Uruguay, and then Curuvita, which is one of the most prosperous and safest towns in Brazil, uh, sort of towards the coast, southwest coast of uh, Brasilia. Um, And then they also are targeting, you know, capitals, very large cities like Buenos Aires. And I've been uh, seeing if they can make that year round for seasonal. That doesn't make sense for one of the bigger and best cities because it has a, the Argentina has a 97.3 literacy rate. Um, So it's one of the better countries Argentina and, and Uruguay to for um, Americans or tourists to go into um, Montevideo really escaped COVID. They don't have really any airline. They just have a little domestic airline. And the only big international airline that goes in there is American. So when COVID locked down everything, there was no airlines going in and out of there. And um, so they, they got really lucky, and they, they really didn't get affected by COVID. Now they're opening up again. So their theory is that they'd like tourists to walk around with an ankle bracelet <laughs> so oh. they know where they are at all times. And I said to one of my friends, well, I said, that sounds like what they do to jail people. He goes, yeah, <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> and wow. so I was like, wow, that's kind of strict but they don't want it to affect their country. Um, Eastern cargo is building up at a rather fast rate. Uh, Eastern has even hired their own um, vice president for cargo. And right now they're taking a 777-300 for exclusive cargo use. Hmm. Wow. And that, that must have cost the, the, the uh Woolies, a pretty penny. And, of course, they do have two 747-400s, those jumbo jets, and uh, they do have one 767. That's all cargo. Um, and then they do have um, something really exciting with cargo coming up. But that's all I can say. <laughs> Mark, Mark, this is Don. Uh, do you think they're going to get involved in uh, transporting some of this uh uh, COVID-19 uh, serum uh, yes. around the country mm-hmm. and the world? Right. Yes. Most wow. definitely. <laughs> That's okay. probably what you have, had in mind. <laughs> on, January, um, on January 5th, um, in January, um, there will be a lot of 777s in the air. Mm. Sorry, I have to catch myself at times. Um but um, they, they have five 777s seven, seven, right now, 200, that are going into the commercial fleet. Um, and then in January, 
a lot of those should be operational. Hmm. So we've gone from really none to five 777s that are all being worked out, of course, at the Kansas uh, uh, City um, operation out there, Jet Midwest. And they aim for all five to be airborne in January. Boy, they're spending a they lot have, of money on uh... yeah, yeah. yeah, they are. Yeah, they have uh, 10 767s. If I were them, I think what they're doing is I think they're actually moving the 7.6s eventually, if I follow them correctly, to cargo. Because it would be much better just to have a wide-body 777 fleet and a narrow-body 7.5 or 7.3 narrow-body fleet. Because the the comforts with both um, serve, you know, the the wide-body 7.7 for, for international service and for your short flights connecting like Boston to JFK and Hartford to JFK and uh, Providence to JFK with your 737-800s. Um, and, of course, we all know that Dallas is coming online relatively soon. And usually the smart companies work the triangles, Chicago, Dallas, LAX. And then it's the reverse, of course, and uh, New York, Miami, uh, Chicago. So you have the two triangles there on aircraft going both ways. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So then your feeder feeder market, yeah? Yeah, Yes, I might have asked you this question before on another show, but uh, all this freight that they're doing, these uh, 777s and the 767s and whatnot, are any of these airline airplanes that they had from other airlines, uh, are they flying freight down below, or have they got cargo doors in them, or have they retrofitted any with cargo doors? Are you, are you talking about just on the cargo division? Yeah. Yeah, the 777-300 is exclusive cargo. Mm. So that's being that's being retrofitted and everything, as are the... 747-400 BCF, Boeing Converted Freighters. So um, those two right there, uh, and there's a third one that just came in from Qantas, but um, those two right there, I mean, they can hold a ton of cargo, the 7-4s. The 777 holds 80 tons. So it's rather interesting how, I mean, it doesn't hold, it doesn't hold so much, but if you put that in, let's say, flowers, and, and, you know, Ecuador is huge on flowers. I've got a lot of flowers to bring to, you know, either Miami or New York market. And yeah, so I take it, and they also have two DC-10s. And I'd like to see the DC-10s used for, like, fish, you know, because <laughs> something like, you know, Alaska and Chile. <laughs> yeah, so the, the seven put in the new plane. <laughs> yeah. the, the seven. The seven sixes and the seven triple sevens, they they're carrying the cargo down below then. There's nothing upstairs in the in it uh, no uh, like you had mentioned. Like an uh, empty with the, plane you mean? because I know to to put a cargo yeah. door into one of these airplanes is a very expensive venture. I've looked right. into that yeah, years ago, so Right. They won't have cargo doors in the in any of those passenger planes. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah, no, they're not going to set those in separately. That's just going to be passenger, and then, I mean, it takes 22 um, containers in a 767-300. So that's a lot of, you know, um, yeah. containers that, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly how many are used for the passenger, but it does seem that um, they are now going to, which is I've been pushing, is the two suitcases per person. Uh, they say just till January 3rd, but that's the only thing that separates them from the other airlines because even they can only get their ticket price down, um, you know, like uh, come January, you can fly to Dominican Republic for $44 each way. But they only can oh, wow. get that down there low enough and eat up the loss on fuel until pe- people learn about Eastern and then the, the ticket price goes back up to $500 round trip. So um, what I've been doing with my Facebook page is any place that Eastern opens up, 
I let people know right away because that's going to be the lowest ticket price you can get at any time is to fly like to Paraguay for $199, uh, you know, each way. And uh, um, normally it's a $1,200 ticket. So any of the Caribbean market areas like Panama, we know is going to open up. So as, so as Panama opens up, there are a lot of surfers and stuff that would like to go there. That might be a $65 airfare. It will wow. never be once Eastern becomes well-known again. So it, I think taking advantage of that would be good. And I think it would be wise of Eastern to go into St. Louis. Um, no one's there and internationally. Uh, that was TWA and uh, Eastern also. And I think it would be wise for Eastern to go back into St. Louis and become the international carrier out of St. Louis. Have you, have, you suggested, have, have you suggested that to them, Mark? Today. I think a uh, LAX, uh, St. Louis, John F. Kennedy, and, and vice versa would be good. And then I think seeding a few of the bigger cities uh, like Dallas, stuff like that, into St. Louis, on to New, Lon- uh, New London, on to London. Uh, there's, there's no one flying that uh, St. Louis-London uh, route, and uh, that's basically all they would need. There's tons out of John F. Kennedy in Miami and LAX, everything, but not out of the old St. Louis airport. Um, and that Lambert Field would be, it's right next door to where their aircraft get repaired, get repaired anyway. So out of Kansas City, but um, I think, yeah, I think that St. Louis airport would be prime, you know, had, it would have memories, advertising, because Eastern flew out of there. It was a big part of the Eastern operation and American, and American's still there, but I think if Eastern went back in there, um, all the a lot little bells would go off because they could get those routes. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Mark, who is the major contractor for uh, maintenance for Eastern? Is it, you say, Kansas City? It's where it's yeah, done? Jet Midwest. Um, the owner, um, CEO of Jet Midwest, used to be 50% owner of Dynamic, ah. which was the company before Eastern. Right. And then right. there was some, some um, buyout um, or, or terms or something. These are two men of words. And um, so um, Kenneth Woolley then went on to buy 40% of Swift, which he evidently still owns, which is now iAerial Group, which is now Blackstone Group, which had influence on the presidency. So, I mean, they've got lots of money. I mean, lots. <laughs> and wow. so and Swift still has money. Um, Kenneth Woolley still has money invested there. And that's why the rumors are that, Swift and Eastern are going for the assets of, of um, Norwegian. And I'm not so interested in the assets of Norwegian except for the LHR Heathrow slots. So why not ask for two of those instead? Bid for those. Just two, you know, because you're small anyway. Don't get bid for all of them. Now, Norwegian, I think, has 36. But... Um, uh, you know, your Miami and your New York, uh, and that would do for now. Um, but Mark, did yeah, you, when I saw do you that know today, if, uh, they were. Hmm? Go ahead. Mark, did you, did you know, did you ever know if uh, uh, Heathrow was going to put an, in another runway to their airport? I don't know if they ever did that or not. Did you hear anything yeah, about I thought that? Yeah, I, I thought I saw that about a month ago. Um, okay. But I read today that Norwegian's liquidating. So. Um, that's why the assets come up in, in handy, knowing that they have slots over there. Um, the the LAX, LAX airport is wide open. There's wide open. The 777, they're going to be put to use immediately. Um, remember, they have a large DOD, Department of Defense, operation. And um, my guess is that all five of those will be put into distributing the vaccine worldwide. Um, wow. And those, think about it, I mean, those, if they have to be refrigerated or whatever it is, but the 777 can hold a lot of vaccine. We're talking a lot. How are they so I'm not uh, sure. managed 
the freezer pot. I'm not sure. I mean, they might have to install freezer units below in the cargo section they know, do for have a flight them. to uh, for a flight to Asia. And and trust me, they'll go to Asia probably as a um, charter company. But those you know extra range and uh, long range seven seven because there's two more seven seven sevens that are still coming on board. So it's going to be seven of them, and pretty soon they'll have more seven seven sevens than uh, um, seven six sevens. Well, Mark, thank you so much. We're about uh, time. We 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 got to watch the time here, so a little bit more. Thank you so much for updating us on uh, the New Eastern. And wow, where can anyone find the information that you give us every week uh, on, on the, the New Eastern Airlines? It's great, great news. So appreciate it. Thank uh, you yeah, so much. Just, I, let me, uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. My pleasure. Let me just say one thing. A friend of mine's uh, airline is just about in liquidation, and it's in Argentina. And I haven't proposed this yet, but I think it would be a great thing to bid for is just the license and one seven three seven eight hundred to run separate company down there in Argentina and have connecting flights. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could take passengers from the United States into Argentina and fly them to San Carlos de Bariloche, Santiago de Chile, the Patagonia, as we know, right? Is becoming the in place to go in the in the world nowadays. Wow. Well, I'm not that much of a world traveler. Those names that you uh, you're putting out here, I have no clue where on the face of the globe they they would be. (laughs) Well, Neil, look up Neil, look up San Carlos. It is the Switzerland of South America. Okay. Absolutely gorgeous. All course, right, but a seven thousand foot runway. Yeah. Okay. That's like Waco off Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Benny. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Mark, and we'll hopefully we'll have you back again with us next next week. Okay. That sounds good. Do- and that's yeah, the Dorothy. Great. <laughs> All right. All right. Dorothy? Well, I'd like to um, mention also that on the website with Veterans Day coming up on December 7th, uh, we mentioned it last week, but we have um, a video up there. It's called Mansions, and if you just go in and look on the home page, you'll have a hyperlink that will take you to that video. It's well worth watching, and our thanks go out to all the veterans both Eastern and around the world. Um, We didn't have a scheduled program honoring our ladies, so that too will be done on Veterans Day, December 7th. And um, uh, if any of you folks have anything you might want to add to that. Yeah, that's uh, December Pearl Harbor. Right, uh, exactly. So, so are, uh, we, are, we, are we allowed to tell any of our old man stories and bombing and stuff like that? <laughs> well, My dad we'll was see. a bomber pilot, B, B-24. Yeah. yeah. Got some good ones. We'll see how much time Neil has scheduled depending upon his script uh, that he's <laughs> writing. It will be a show the lived for infamy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would like to thank uh, Mike for sending me that video about uh, Jimmy Stewart and Arthur Godfrey doing that. Oh, yeah, that was good, yeah. That was really good. Uh, Did you send it out to the rest of the gang, Mike? Uh, I I believe I did. I'm not quite sure who I sent it all to, but uh, somebody sent it to me, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Very good, 53 minutes, and even though it dates back into the 50s or 60s, uh, it really worth the time to spend and, and and watch that video. It's great. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Dorothy. Well, we're approaching the airport and end of our Eastern Flight 483 show. We will be back next week sharing more great news and information about our beloved Eastern. It looks like we are entering the controlled airspace 
of Baltimore International Airport. So, Captain, how about another of those Greece landings? <laughs> Eastern, 483. This is Baltimore Tower. You're cleared to ran, land on runway 10. Uh, Roger, Baltimore Tower, Eastern 483. Clear to land on runway 10. Gear down, three green. Captain Mike Scott, Dorothy Gagnon, Jim Holder, Carrie Holder, Harry Lindquist, Mark Porter, Norman G. Borger, and of course our producer, Neil Holland. We wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving. So please stay safe, protected, and we'll see you all next week. Don't take that airplane ride But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver wings Good night, Eastern family and friends from around the world And good night, Eastern Airlines, wherever you are Now Happy Thanksgiving to all you turkeys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Wonderful Happy job. Thanksgiving. Thank you so much, host. Good night, Eastern family. We love you. We love you, Eastern. Good night, Eastern. We love, love you. Turkey and turkey and gravy for everybody. Same turkey. <laughs> Another great show, Captain Neil.